Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Brain Camelitic, and today we have with us once again Dr. Shane Geha. Dr. Shane Geha, who is a well who's well known to our listeners, is the managing director and co-founder of EG Advisory, a rezoning company with expertise in land transformation operating across Australia. His work focuses on are working closely with clients on, on property property uplift strategy and implementation and has worked on some of the largest land use changes in both size and value in Sydney and across New South Wales. In this very timely interview, he explains what we can do about our housing affordability crisis. So, Shane, welcome to the show first. Thank you. Okay, nice. so during our last... Uh, well, during this last election campaign, I should say, we've heard much about what is written, spoken, and dare I say, bleated about housing affordability uh, and what governments should or shouldn't do about making houses more affordable for those wanting to buy houses of their own, of course. I know that you have some pretty strong views on this and yes. views that you shared or some of the views that you shared with us last time you were on this show some six, six months ago. Okay, so then... Can you, you remind all of us, what do you think is the key to solving our housing affordability conundrum? Well, thank you, Branko. So essentially what we have here are the two largest cities and to a lesser extent, uh, Brisbane and Adelaide, but certainly Sydney and Melbourne, have a major affordability issue for people trying to enter the market. Now, 70% of us are already either own our own home or are paying off our own home. And 30% uh, of, us are, of us are investors. The uh, increase in house prices, of course, benefits the people who are already in the market. And it also helps banks retain value. So none of those sectors are particularly perturbed. But the problem is that if we don't make affordability a major issue that we're able to create timely solutions for, then pretty much our children and, and all of the people that are trying to enter the market are not able to do so. Let me explain. So when I was a kid, I'm 53, and when I was a kid, say when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, the average house in Sydney, detached house, in a middle ring suburb, say Ashfield, mm -hmm. was three times the average annual earnings. So for $70,000-odd in those days, you could buy a 400-square-metre block of land with a house on it. Not in great condition, but in an average suburb, average condition, average way. Right. And, and the average wage in those days was around $20,000-odd. You wouldn't believe this, but it's true. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and today, we are talking about 12 times the average wage. So if the average wage is around $100,000, in, uh, in, in the big cities, then the, that's the average annual wage, then you're talking about a $1.2 million basic purchase in Sydney for a detached dwelling. So detached dwellings are not an opportunity for anyone in Sydney or Melbourne to enter the market as a first entrant. It's just impossible. There are two conditions perhaps that would exclude that. One, if you had rich parents and they're willing to give you the deposit, because the deposit is the problem. Right. Serviceability, if you're earning $100,000 a year, is not the problem. You can service the loan if you're reasonably prudent with money. But you can't get the 
or 200, 120 would be the 10% deposit, 240,000 would probably be what you need as a first home buyer. The banks are now insisting on 20%. Wow. You're right. So that's a real problem because we can't, because imagine you are very clever, you're earning 100,000, which is a very good salary, and you're a young person. How long would it take you to save 120 or 240,000? Forget earning it, just saving it. Because 30% goes in tax. Then you've got super of nine or 10%. Then you've got living expenses. So you're either living, if you're not living with mum and dad, you've got to pay rent or you've got to do something. So there's not a lot left. And of course, if you're a young person, you want to go skiing, you want to go out with your friends on Saturday night. No, I mean, they should be normal items for a young person, boy or girl, to be able to do, right? So that's kind of our reality. Now, it is the great Australian dream, and I don't think we should walk away from the dream. The dream is a great dream. It is what our parents dreamt about. It is what we've dreamt about, and we should make it an affordable dream for our children as well. But I think I think our children, Branka, should be interested in thinking along these lines. You enter the market uh, slightly further out of the city than inner so that you could actually get something slightly more affordable. You go to secondhand stock rather than firsthand because that you don't pay GST on the secondhand stock, whereas the GST is built into the brand new stock, right? So slightly more affordable again. You find something that isn't amazing so that you're not paying for the asset itself. So there are two things that happen with an asset. The land goes up in value over time and the house or the apartment goes down in value over time. So until the two meet. So essentially your apartment, which is lovely now in 60 years time is worth virtually nothing, right? Because it needs, sorry, I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but, but the land keeps increasing in value over that time period. So, so you should buy worst house, best street, worst apartment, best, best street, and try and see if you can put up with either doing some renovations yourself or living with it as is until such a time may come that you can improve it. And if you can enter with as low a deposit as possible, the serviceability is generally not an issue. Right. Now, we are talking specifically to Sydney, Melbourne, maybe Brisbane and Adelaide, but that's all. I mean, if you wanted to go to country towns, you could buy an investment property there for a lot less. But you know what? for the capital appreciation, for the growth, being in Sydney and Melbourne and being close to your friends and family and mum and dad is actually a great thing. So we really need to make the setup work for young people who want to enter the market in, in Sydney, somewhere in Sydney to get their stake in the ground. And the most important is to get a stake in the ground. Once you're in the market, as the market rises, you will benefit from that rise. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. And maybe you need to be very prudent when you're younger, save a bit of money, do a lot less going out and skiing at Aspen and whatever else you might like to do. And I'm not saying everyone does this, but, you know, the ability to save when you're young is hard because you're not good at it yet. Yeah. But if you have your head screwed on and there are many young people who do and are not outrageous with their spending, they're able to save reasonably well. Now, the great news is is if you can stay at home so that your expenses are either zero or limited and buy your first property as an investment property, then maybe if you are able to gather the deposit, you're able to have the tenant pay it off. Okay. 
And that also gives you an advantage with tax because you're able to deduct certain things like the expenses of the unit because it's an investment property and so on. And, and you can go on for a few years until you have paid off enough of the capital so that the repayments are low enough for you to move in there and not need the tenant. That's kind of a, a method of you entering the market. Okay, that's from the individual. Okay, it's great. It's great advice. Okay, mm. um, you, know, you, 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 as you said you, you you buy a bit bit cheap, a bit far out. You use negative gearing to your advantage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you base you you're building a scaffold, if you like, a financial scaffold for for mm. you then to move on to the next one. Okay, yeah, great advice. How about the authorities, the government? Is there? So, I mean, there are so many theories being thrown around that my 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 head spins. Um, yeah. is, it, is it a supply and demand issue? I think, I believe it is. It always is. It always is. Okay. Always is. So always is. So the supply is restrained in Sydney and the demand is massive. So that's why the prices keep going up. Right. And remember, it? we're doing this without immigration. I mean, when immigration comes, this will be even, even harder to do. Why is it? Sorry, why is it restrained? Why okay. Is it because we've got one of the most archaic and clumsy planning systems in the world. And we've basically said, so we're, we're, we as a society, for better or worse, are horrified about an unregulated city. We're horrified. Right. So we've gone and put layers and layers and layers of regulation. You've got to have the land zoned. It's got to be zoned correctly. You've got to have the right controls. You've got to be within this height limit. Then you need to go and get a DA. And that takes two years now on average. <laughs> By the time that comes out of the expensive process and the slow process, you then got to go and get a construction certificate. Then you build it. Then you deliver it. You're talking about a process from the time you identify a need to the time you can supply that need in the market of about five years. Wow. wow. That's a very inelastic supply-demand equation. Right, okay. okay. Now, the hilarious thing is it takes you less time to build the asset currently in Sydney than to approve it. It's hilarious. Now, I'm not saying go to an unregulated market, but actually, if you just had the zoning and you didn't need a DA and you went to an unregulated market, it wouldn't make a lot of difference anyway, okay. really, because the zoning pretty much restrains what you can and can't do. But we've got the DA system. It's not going anywhere. People are very happy with it. The problem is it's hurting them when it comes to affordability because it naturally slows down the ability of the market to supply itself with product. And now if you look at a growing city, and let's remember why we're a growing city, Branka. We're a growing city because if you look at every survey that's ever been done on livability in the world, we usually rank in the top three of any city in the world. Okay. Now, you live here, so you probably are not surprised that we have an amazing harbour, a beautiful living standard, relatively uncongested city. I mean, when people say, oh, we're congested, they need to go to some other ones and they'll know what I'm saying, right? Relatively uncongested, um, relatively clean, relatively safe. So, so it's got all of these great, it's probably got the best weather of any large city in the world. True. Right, you go to Boston. I've been to 350 cities in my travels, mm -hmm. and I would say this would have to have the best weather of any great city in the world. Really, it's, 
Singapore's humid and hot. Delhi is intolerable in the summer. Riyadh's unlivable in the summer. Reykjavik is impossible in the winter. Boston's difficult in the winter. London's difficult in the winter. Tokyo is in an earthquake zone and very cold in the winter and very humid in the summer. So none of them really have great weather. Jakarta is awful in the summer, by the way. So and a very congested city. So so you've got cities in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Adelaide that constantly rank in the top 10 most livable cities in the world. Now, if you removed affordability as one of the criteria, Sydney would rank one every year, yeah. pretty much, pretty much. It's the world's best city, honestly. And I, I don't say that because I come from here. But, but affordability is a problem. So desirability is part of the problem. So if everyone loves it and wants to come here, it gets more expensive. Yeah, okay. You also mentioned, I believe last from memory, you, you spoke about government fees and charges. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, we're a little bit addicted to that. Can you enlighten us a bit more on that? Well, it would not surprise you, perhaps, that in an $800,000 apartment in a middle ring suburb, brand new, a brand new apartment of 800000 which is not a small number, is roughly about one third in government fees and charges. So 240000 of that price essentially is charges and fees. Right. It's it's a horrific so you could you could offer that for roughly five hundred and four sixty thousand if five hundred and sixty thousand that sounds a lot more affordable, right? It does, it does. Right. So if you could just remove and remember all these charges are there, so either a service would be provided. I mean the GST is a nothing. It's it's a so there's GST, of course, in the brand new. And 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 the GST is essentially and there's no service for the fee. The stamp duty, there's no service for the fee when you buy, you pay five and a half percent of the purchase price to the state government. I'm not saying these things are not used to run the state or the country. They are. But I'm saying we raise these fees so we can help our citizens. Yet in the very act of trying to help them, we are actually making their ability to get an essential service like living in the city uh, difficult to do. So if you remove fees and charges, you would reduce by 30% the price of a brand new apartment. You'd reduce by about 40% the price of a brand new house. So a brand new house, a brand new house right now, it might cost you a million dollars in Leppington, which is 50 Ks from the city, by the way. I was there recently, I know exactly. It's a very nice place, but it's 50 Ks from the city. Yeah. It's a million bucks for a brand new house and land, and the land's only 300, 400 odd square meters. Yep, so it's yep. not huge, but it's decent. Now, that 40%, 400 grand of that is fees and charges. Wow. Okay. okay. Well, you've got to start thinking governments are benevolent. I, I think in Australia, in general, governments at least are intentionally benevolent. They want to be benevolent and good for us. But, but in the process of helping us, they're kind of not helping us anymore. So what I'm saying is if the government took some land that it owns, and the government owns most of the land in Australia in one form of government or another. So between local, state and federal government, the government owns more than 95% of the land in Australia in one form or another, right? I know you don't believe me, but you take... That's a lot of land. That's a lot. It might even be more than that. It might be closer to 99%. So all of our cities that are owned by private citizens... Uh, 1% of the total land that's owned by private citizens. The rest all owned by governments of some sort. So let's say I'm the government and I want to help the citizens. I could go and find a nice block of land that's owned by one of the state instruments. 
or by the government itself, I could, I could give the land for free. I could take off all the fees and charges, negotiate with local government and the, and the federal government, take all those fees and charges off. So there's 30, 40%, 30 to 40% of the cost gone. The land is 30%, so there's 60% gone. So then all it costs us is 400 grand to build a house. Right. And we give you 400 square meters. Now, you can make the conditions of selling that house anything you like because you're the government. So you could say, right, only people under 30 can buy it. Only people that have a job can buy it. Only people that, so, so you can make those conditions. So rather than release people's super, which I don't think is a great idea. You don't. No, I don't. No, I don't, because what it'll do is just drive up the price. And a lot of people, Branko, they don't know how to save for their retirement. You do, and I do, but lots of people don't. And we have to be careful to look after them as well, because they will get to 65 and they'll have no money. And then they'll have to be on some sort of big welfare, which is not right. I mean, these people have worked all their lives. We should help them keep their money for themselves for their retirement. That's what super is designed to do. Yeah. Now, yes, it solves the problem in the short term, but it'll drive prices up even more because there'll be just more demand for cheaper products with more cash in the market. Okay. Yeah. Instead of releasing the super, keep that where it is. Uh, and and, give, and if, you do, if you want to do it, do it under a huge number of conditions. Why don't you release some product? Why don't you release more land and take away some of the red tape that, that stops you from doing stuff? If the government wanted to be totally benevolent, they could get a track of land that they own. They could say that's free of charge to people under 30 who have all these criteria. You can put any criteria you want. Easy. Then you could negotiate to remove all the fees and charges. And you could, for a 400 grand, buy a house and land from the government under prescribed conditions, and then you've entered the market. Other, other plan the, where the government owns equity in your home. What, what do you think of that idea? Well, it, it sounds good, but the government isn't good at this stuff in general. As a general rule, the government getting into people's lives and entering their life, you know what? They're better off, Branka, doing a generalised scheme, mm-hmm. which everyone can access, and they get out of our business. Just let us do it. We do it better. We understand our stuff better and we understand our finances better. They don't really know how to do that stuff. It's, it's very well-meaning. Don't get me wrong. All of this stuff is well-meaning. I, one thing you can say about the governments in Australia, which may not be true of governments in other parts of the world, they generally want to help their citizens yeah. with the best of intentions, right? They get it wrong a lot of the time, but, but they actually do want to help us. And, and so their intentions are always pure. But, you know, by with clumsy delivery and clunky systems and rigmarole and red tape and bureaucracy and this and that, somehow the objective gets lost in the swimming pool. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what, what, what do they say? Uh, hell, the road to hell is paved with good, good intentions. <laughs> the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I was going to say that. Um, Simple. Um, I was going to say that there is one thing that, that's really, that, that is actually interesting. And COVID, I mean, COVID has exposed a lot of things. And the fact that we haven't, like, you know, before COVID, we kept being being told that, well, one reason why we have, and this is something that you mentioned also, and it is actually true, but yeah. it's kind of it's kind of been made untrue. I know it's true, but it's all been shown that it's not, it mustn't be the only reason. Mm. Because 
Now with COVID, you know, we've actually had virtually a negative population growth for the past two years. I mean, Correct. Things are changing, obviously, now. Correct. But, but and before COVID, you know, there, there, there was still obviously an issue with housing affordability. Um, but one of the reasons was given, given was, well, we've got, you know, so many people coming to Sydney and blah, 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 the population growing. Okay, that, that is true, and that, obviously that's the supply and demand thing. But in the past two years, we've had hardly anyone coming, and yet this right. past two years, we've had a lot of... I mean, yeah, property growth, time. which I predicted, by the way, against all the major economists, and I was right and they were wrong. And the main reason is that... The main reason, the main reason that I could see, and this is how, why I foretold this, is that Australia spends sixty billion dollars a year in international travel per year. So multiply that by three years, that's one hundred and eighty billion dollars. Now, when interest rates are zero, where's that going? Not in the bank, not in the bank, because it's not worth anything in the bank. Yeah. So people just thought, well, I'll just renovate my house, or I'll just buy one for my son, or I'll just give a deposit to my sister, or uh, I will just buy another property or because even if it made 3% or 4%, it's better than zero, right? Right, yeah. And, and I've got all this money that I normally would have thrown away overseas on a good time, right? <laughs> so, and that's major money. That's major money. Now, when interest rates are zero, you tend to invest the money rather than keep it in the bank. Okay, so lastly, there is one thing that for the future that I'm, that, uh, in fact, not I, but a, a number of economists have actually said, you know, um, watch this space. Hmm. And that's the, the, the generational, um, uh, you know, um, transfer of wealth. That's hmm. coming, obviously, you know, people who are, who are you know, um, what, what do they call baby boomers, hmm. they, will, they will obviously pass on and, and the money will go to their children and, and et cetera. Is that going to have, or what, sorry, I should ask, I won't preempt anything. What effect is that going to have on house prices in places like Sydney and Melbourne? It will have to increase it. But what I'm saying is uh, the baby boomers are going to live much longer than their predecessors, probably okay. by 10 or 15 years. So those who are waiting for an inheritance may need to live in rental property for a lot longer than they would like. But the reality is that you can also liberate equity in all of these homes. So if your father has a house that's now worth $2 million or $3 million, which isn't unheard of in Sydney at all, yeah. they, could, they could take 200 grand as a mortgage on the house and, and release that equity and give it to you to put as a deposit. So, but the problem is if they don't have serviceability for that income, the bank simply won't give it to them. So, so you've got to. So, if you're retired, that's that's not a possibility. So, they will end up having to wait for you to pass away, and then you've got to remember that the women live six years longer than the man. So, the father passes away, and then six years later, your mum passes away. Yeah. And as tragic as that is, that's when you inherit the house. Okay. But and often you have siblings, and they also don't have enough money. So you end up selling the house, dividing it by three. It's not that good as before. But at the end. At the end, we shouldn't be thinking about reactive policies. We should be thinking about proactive policies. Question, do we care about our citizens? Answer, absolutely. Question, do we care about young people having the great Australian dream? Absolutely, right? And if that's the case, then why aren't we having more proactive policies to increase land supply, to liberate the system of burdens, to lower the tax burden on property. Property is one of the most overtaxed commodities in Australia. Yeah. It's so overtaxed. It, it is 
imagine if you bought a packet of Tim Tams, imagine if the taxes on the Tim Tams were worth more than the chocolates and the box. I mean, it is absurd. It is absolutely absurd. Dr. Shane Gecker, that was absolutely fascinating. And I, I really, really, really thank you for your time. And I know that you're busy. Um, look, that was that was great. So look, I think that some of your or a lot of your ideas are fantastic. And I hope our politicians are listening. <laughs> they will. They will eventually. They will eventually. You've been listed, Dr. Shane Gecker, the managing director and co-founder of EG Advisory, talking about solving our housing affordability pro- uh, problems. This has been Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Branko Miletic. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Branko Miletic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au.